0: following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.
1: Today's sermon text will be coming from John 5 verse 18 through 29. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to, him, said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what, the, what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son give life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, Just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead would hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear, to the res- resurrection of judgment. All right, how
0: y'all doing? Good, good to see everybody. Glad for, uh, for you guys to join us this morning. I wanna talk to you guys a little bit about um, Jesus, as we always do, but I wanna ask the question who is he? Who is Jesus? In particular, who is Jesus in relationship to God the Father? Who is Jesus in light of God the Father? Um, It's an important question because, again, as you heard me mention in prayer, one of the foundations and pillars of the Christian faith is that we believe that God is triune in his nature. We talk about God and we speak of God as being the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. We just sung about that God. The Godhead, three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, and so the question is, how does the son relate to the father? Because there's sometimes, and sometimes thinking about the triune nature of God, people kind of get things muddied up and they get twisted up and they begin to see the son in a light that maybe he shouldn't be seen in, Right? But we want, to ask, we want to answer the question, who is Jesus, by looking at Jesus' words as he speaks to us about his own relationship with God the Father. He has thoughts about his relationship with the Father. And those thoughts are very controversial to the group of people that he's speaking to in this text. Last week we talked about the Sabbath. We talked about this idea of, of, of This, Or or rather, we talked about this story of a man who goes to a pool after having been sick for 38 years, or or not ill, but disabled for 38 years, and this man is taken to this pool because every single uh, uh, time that they get an opportunity, they go to this pool in hopes that the angel of God will pass through the pool and stir the waters. And as, they, and as the angel of God passes through and stirs the waters, then somebody gets healed. And so this man has been showing up for a long time in hopes that he might get healed. And it happens to be Sabbath day in which he is there, again, hoping that he might get healed. And yet he's been there a while and he's not healed. And Jesus comes along and with very little faith, On demonstration from the man, Jesus says, get up, go, take up your bed, walk. The man rises and he leaves. But when he rises, he does a big no-no in the life of ancient Judaism. And that is, is that he picks up his bed, he takes his mat, and he leaves on the Sabbath, The Judaism faith said that you weren't supposed to carry anything, even if you happen to be getting healed from a 38-year-old disability, and you just happen to have your mat with you because you was laying on your mat because you couldn't do anything else but lay on it. You still aren't supposed to pick up anything. And so the Jewish leaders got fed up and got stirred up and got really, really upset and really, really angry about the fact that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And the word of the Lord says in John chapter 5 verse 18 that this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. And so there's a hint into how we should see Jesus Christ. Jesus himself was not only healing on the Sabbath, but he was making himself speaking in terms because a matter of fact, they say, hey, what is he doing? What are, what are you doing healing on the Sabbath? In verse 17, he says, hey, my father is working until now, and so am I. Well, who's your father? Wait a second. What, what are you saying here? And so they were so upset, so furious with all of this stirring that Jesus was doing. And not, on top of, not, on, not only on top of that, he had the audacity to say that he was operating like God the Father in heaven as he was doing it. Stirring the pot, so to speak, and making people angrier and deciding that, yeah, it's time for him to go. We got to get rid of this guy. So, he begins to discuss his, na- his particular and peculiar relationship with God the Father. So, we want to ask, or we want to answer the question, who is Jesus, by stating two different particular perspectives of Jesus in relationship to the Father. So we want to talk about his relationship to the Father as it relates to us, but also his relationship to the Father as it relates for us, all right? To us and for us. There are some things that we look at and we say, what does God mean to me? What does Jesus mean to me based on what he says? And and what does Jesus mean for me based on what he says? That's what we want to answer this morning. So Jesus opens up in verse 19 and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, To say truly, truly is like saying something like, like, I know what I'm about to say may feel a little outlandish, but I'm not telling any lies. And that's saying something when you consider that Jesus himself has never lied. So a man that has never lied is now saying, this is no lie. This is the truth. Imagine that. It must be important, the things that he's about to share with us. And what he says is, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Only what he sees the father doing. And then he continues on, and he says, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. Now, Jesus is saying some loaded stuff in this text. That that, that everything that the Father, that I don't do anything on my own, but everything that the Father does, I do. And oh, by the way, some of the things that the Father does give life. I do that. There's some loaded things being being said in this text that Jesus is communicating to us. You know, the presence of Jesus in the world is not debatable for the most part. Every once in a while you get somebody that says there was no such thing as Jesus. He didn't exist. But the presence of Jesus is rarely really debated in a heavy sense. I mean, when you even look at most religions in the world, they acknowledge Jesus. Which which should speak something to us about the significance of Jesus, that even other religions would spend time speaking of him. For example, when you look at Islam, Islam believes that when you look or when you read the Quran, you, 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 you realize that, that the Quran says that Jesus was in fact born of a virgin. That Jesus was revered in the Quran or is revered in the Quran as a prophet and apostle of God. Jesus was a Prophet, an apostle of God, and that Jesus ascended to heaven, and Jesus will come again. All of that is said in the Quran. You don't even have to open up your Bible for that. You can look at that in the Quran and find it. But not only is, is the Quran speaking of Jesus in these terms, you know, Islam, the Islamic faith, but, but Judaism, uh, not as much modern, but certainly the ancient Judaism had a great fondness for, for Jesus. And his, they acknowledged his miracles. And not only did they acknowledge his miracles, they acknowledged that he was, in fact, Mary's son and that he was, in fact, crucified on a cross, Hinduism believes that Jesus was a holy man and a a wise teacher. Buddhists greatly respect Jesus' teachings and believe he was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. And so there are a lot of people that have great fondness for Jesus. That's not what separates Jesus, or that's not what makes Jesus debatable. What makes Jesus debatable is what we're reading in this text. The fact that he says that I'm I'm not just a teacher here, right? I'm not just enlightened, but I'm actually in fellowship with the Father in such a way that you, you, you can go ahead and say that we're equal. Does that make sense? Now, here's the interesting thing about the other religions is that the other religions acknowledge Jesus because they have to, right? It's hard to escape his presence throughout history, but they struggle with that acknowledgment because they say, yes, he was a prophet, or yes, he was a good man, or yes, he was an enlightened one. And C.S. Lewis uh, has always come up with a popular, a popular way of phrasing this, which some of you guys may be familiar with. They said, you can't, you know, C.S. Lewis rather, he says that you can't embrace him as being good or as being truthful as a prophet and then just completely disregard the fact that he was putting himself on par with God and say, well, that part doesn't, that part doesn't count right? Well, what do you mean it doesn't count? Was he a prophet or not? Did he speak the truth about God or not? Was he a good man? Was he a wise man? Was he, was he enlightened or not? What, what, what are you saying? And so for him, for Jesus to, from himself, from his own mouth, communicate to us that he was more than a prophet, it forces us into a corner, doesn't it? We can't just say he was a good man. We can't just say he was a prophet. We have to say, okay, it's two, it's three, one or three things is happening here. Either he is, right? a liar. Are you tracking? Because I can't, I can't take all of this for credit. Uh, I can't take all of this at face value, and then this other stuff that he's saying over here, I discount. So either he's a liar, or he's a lunatic, he's just crazy, or C.S. Lewis concludes that he must be Lord. But you simply can't stop at him being a prophet when he himself tells you. He's more. Does that make sense? And so in this text, Jesus, despite what other religions say about him, he's telling us that he is more. In this passage, he clears up any confusion that we may have about who he is in reference to God the Father by stating four facts about himself. And that and that is this: that the Son acts like the Father. Now We say, of course, the son acts like the father, all sons act like the father, but we're going to find out in just a second, but this type of activity that he speaks of is far greater and far more significant than any other son. Number two is that the son is shown all the father's plans. You say, well, hey, man, I'm sure there's a lot of good fathers that show son's plans. So, no, 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 no. Again, we're about to see the significance of that as we read a little bit more along. The son gives life like the father. Now, that is heavyweight, right? I don't know any sons out here doing that. I don't think BJ has that capability. If he does, he needs to get at me, all right? (laughs) The son gives life to like the father, but also the son has been given authority to judge by the father. Now, BJ might argue that he has that capability, but we're not talking about that kind of judging. It's a different kind of judging. It's certainly a higher level of judging that we're discussing. So let's let's look first at the idea that the son acts like the father. Again, we just read it. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. He talks about the fact that Jesus is not operating autonomously or he's not operating as an individual. He's not operating by himself as he operates. One of the unique things about the triune God that makes the triune God the triune singular God is that they operate singularly together. Does that make sense? They don't operate outside of each other. They don't. Jesus is not over here doing his own thing God the Father doing his own thing. God the Spirit doing his own thing. Jesus says, I move with my Father. Does that make sense? I don't go outside of him. I don't do do things that oppose him. I move with him. I do nothing of my own accord. I do nothing on my own, Jesus says. That everything I do it is in tandem with my Father. But Not only does he say he does things in tandem with his father, but he says that he can do that because of verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And so the reason he moves in tandem is because the father loves him enough to do, listen, to show, rather, all of his plans to God the Son. Now, there's, if we just stop with those two characteristics, there's a couple of things that should come out in terms of the character of God the Son, Jesus Christ. First of all, we should look at those two characteristics and understand that Jesus Christ is very much loved. Does that make sense? He is, he is extremely loved. Take note of the love that the father God the father gives him and shows him that in order that he loves him enough to show him all that he himself is doing. You know the deeper the love a person carries for another the more a person reveals to that person. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Husbands, wives, right? Girlfriends, boyfriends, maybe not. Maybe you're getting there, you know, a little bit, kind of. But the deeper the love goes, the more that is shared. Are you tracking with that? And so here, notice the depth of this love within the triune God that he unveils everything. All of his plans are laid bare for his son the perfect harmony that the son moves in and operates in with the father is a product of perfect revelation does that make sense he can move with him because he knows him completely and ultimately Perfect revelation that the Father has shared with the Son is a product of that perfect love that He has eternally loved the Son with. Now, what else is that love doing? It is revealing greater works and greater acts for the purposes of bringing greater marvel to the Son. And so because God the Father loves the Son so much, He desires that the Son be esteemed in all the world, right? And so He shows Him the greatest, in depth, the greatest and highest of works in order that we might see those works, marvel at those works, Esteem the son, and the father received that as a blessing. Right, the father loves the son so much that he desires to see the son elevated to the highest place in man's praise. Does that make sense? The father desires for the son to shine. He desires. For, for you and for me and for the, for the entire world to marvel at the Son. This love that the Father carries for the Son seeks to see him high and lifted up. So that's love. That's a characteristic that comes out of this, that Jesus is deeply loved as we look at how he relates back to the Father. But also as we look at how he relates back to the Father, we see that Jesus carries immense glory, that Jesus operates with immense glory and power. I mean, the love is very impressive, but we can't lose sight of the glory that he is operating in. And what I mean by that is this. He says this. I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does. Likewise. Let's talk a little bit. Any fans of Michael Jordan? Anybody? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Michael Jordan had kids, right? No shot, basketball players do that. So, Michael Jordan had kids, and one of those kids was, I think, maybe, I'm not sure if he was Michael Jordan, I'm not sure if that was his name, but he happened to play basketball. Anybody, anybody, anybody ever seen Michael Jordan's son play basketball? Now, there's a reason why. Michael Jordan's son played college ball. He never got to the pros. Now, Michael Jordan, Daddy Jordan, I'm sure, spent hours and hours with his son. I'm sure Daddy Jordan showed, showed his son all of his games. I'm sure Daddy Jordan spent time and time on the basketball court, Jordan. Son Jordan, all of the moves that he could show him, right? Teaching him everything. Everything he knows, unveiling it out of love for this son, right? Let me show you that fadeaway, right? No, 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 Junior. I put, when, I, when I dunk, I put my tongue on the left-hand side of my, my face, not the right-hand side. and it's right. I'm sure he showed him everything, right? Junior never got past college. Was it because... The father didn't reveal it, or it was because that the son just didn't have the ability to accomplish what the father revealed? Junior, no matter how much the father revealed to Junior his skill set, Junior still had to have the ability to operate in the same way and in the same manner as his father. Does that make sense? And so what's magnificent about Jesus is not simply that Jesus is receiving a love that unveils all of the Father's plans. What's magnificent about Jesus is that all of the Father's plans, as he unveils them, Jesus actually can accomplish them. And the reason that he can accomplish them is because he is as powerful and as glorious as the Father.
1: Does
0: that make sense? And so it's, not, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm equal in the sense that I'm receiving these revelations from him. But it's a whole other thing to say that I'm equal, that as I receive them, I actually act on them. And Jesus says that I do, not, not simply that I hear it, but that I actually do everything that my father does. Are you tracking with that? So... So when he says the father raises the dead and gives life, he says in verse 21, he then follows up with what? The son also does what? raises the dead and gives life to whomever he wills. In other words, whoever I decide. Why? Because my power and glory is on par with my father. Now, notice, notice what's at work here, okay? You have this, 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 this special, divine God-man standing in front of this group saying literally that everything that God the Father in heaven can do, I can do it, right? He's saying that, but then he says, I do nothing without the Father, which brings me to the third characteristic that we see on display, immaculate humility. The the fact that the triune God is a singular triune God speaks to the humility of the Savior. That he operates in a way that he says, listen, I'm not operating outside of God. I'm operating with my Father. Does that make sense? Not humility in the sense that you would probably think of it, but humility in the sense of a triune divine nature that he never moves outside of it. Now, let me ask you something. Here's an all-powerful God that's saying, "I move with my Father and my Father alone." So, how should, how should you and I react to that? How can what can we do when God commands us? Right? Any anybody anybody in here like, well, well, listen, I'm a little bit better than Jesus, so <laughs> you know what so, I mean. Yeah, I know, I know he doesn't move outside of you, but hey, listen. I got to do my own thing sometimes. Is that that the story? How much much more should the children follow? Should the children walk with God? If God the Son says, I do nothing outside of him, that we operate together. Are you tracking with that? Who operates with this kind of power? And yet says that I do nothing outside of... Who operates like that? The one who's moving earth on his whispers, hanging sun and moon, like coats on a coat rack, says, I do nothing on my own accord. I only do what I see the father doing what delusions are we operating under seriously i'm talking about myself right what delusions are we operating under when when we say yeah you know i'm kind of gonna do my own thing here today lord you know get back at you later on this afternoon right what delusions am i operating under when when the son says he does nothing outside of the father The son's commitment to not do anything of his own accord is not a reflection of his ability, but a reflection of his love for the father. Because they enjoy perfect fellowship. And so as our fellowship deepens with God, so does our obedience, doesn't it? As our fellowship deepens with God, so does our commitment to walk along with him and not walk outside of him. And we see, that, we see that emulated for us even in the Godhead. Even in a co-equal relationship, we see it demonstrated for us. D.A. Carson said that the thought runs like this. It is impossible for the son to take independent, self-determined action that would set him over against the father as another God for all the son does is both coincident and coextensive with all that the father does. The reason that the triune God exists is because of the perfect relationship. They will not step outside of one another. Does that make sense to you? Are you tracking with this this morning? Is this okay? Are we taking taking you guys too far? Do we need to start tossing out life reserves and bring some of y'all back? Are we okay? Okay, all right, good, okay, good. So let's talk about the other three, the other two points that we mentioned as we kind of start trying to wrap this thing up. And those two points kind of bring into the ideal of what does the father look like or what does the son looking like the father mean for us? We talked about what it means to us. What does it mean for us? He He says two things about that. One is that he gives life like the father and two is that he judges like the father. He gives life like the father, he judges like the father. Verse 25, look with me. Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming, and is now here, when the son, when the dead rather, will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has the Son, or so has so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So the first thing is that he gives life like the Father. He gives life like the Father. He gives life in a physical sense like the Father. Colossians tells us that all of life is literally sustained in Christ, is kept in Christ, that the, create, the creation itself is established through Christ. But then we see in, in, the, in the Gospels literally just instances of him just literally giving life back to people with no life. He comes to Lazarus after, after a few days, and they're like, Man, Jesus, you should have got here earlier, man. I know you would have saved him, right? Jesus, like, What are you talking about? Lazarus, get out of here. <laughs> Save him now, right? I mean, I'm, what are you talking about? Yeah. Lazarus, come forth. They said, Jesus, man, you know, my baby, man. Oh, man, I wish you. We should get a guy here, man. She's sick. I mean, she died, man. Jesus, like dead? That's just sleep to me. Come on, baby girl, wake up. These are all paraphrases, by the way. Don't look for them in the gospels. All right. the third one, literally, he talks about himself in John chapter ten. He says, "No one takes my life from me. No one takes my life from me." What are you talking about, Jesus? No one takes my life from me. Jesus, what do you mean? I give my life. Okay, a lot of people give their life, and I pick my own life back up. What? That's Jesus. That's Jesus Himself says that. Listen, I give life to everyone. Even my own life is in my hands. And so, when the Father says that that He is the giver of life, we know that 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 Jesus is on par with the Father in the sense that he can give life in the same measure. But not only does he give life in the physical, right? Right? But he gives life in the spiritual as well. He says that I am what? The resurrection. Meaning that that the life to come, the life that we all need and that the the life that we all crave, the life after this life, Jesus himself is the author of and the giver of. What does Jesus mean for us? He means that in, if we connect, if we submit, if we give our lives, if we, by faith and repentance, commit ourselves to him, that he gives us life like the Father. As a matter of fact... The Father has given in Christ the life that only comes through Christ. So, in other words, what I'm saying is that the Father does not give life absent of the Son. Does that make sense? That the relationship, that that the love that he desires that the uh, Son be showered with, and the honor that he desires that the Son be showered with, and the marvel that he desires the world to see with the Son, Communicate, or allows for him to say, listen, you can't come to me without coming through him. It's only through him that you will have life. So I have ordained it. And so the son gives physical life, but the son gives spiritual life. But then in verse 27, it says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man, do not marvel at this one hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, he gives the son or in the son he entrusts to be giver of life but also in the son he entrusts to be judged. You see what's happening in this text? In other words, what does the relationship of Christ to his Father mean for us? It means that in his hands are literally life and death for us. That he is the giver of life and he is judge. You say judge? That's odd. To our modern ears, right? Who talks about Jesus as judge in this time, in the, this day and time, right? One of the things, if you ever do a survey of the Bible, one of the things you will notice is that hell, when it's mentioned, it is mentioned no greater than it is mentioned from the word or from the mouth of Jesus himself. No one speaks of hell more than Jesus does. When Jesus comes back, right? Jesus is not coming back based on some of the caricatures that we've seen, you know, in, in, in storybooks and things of that nature, where there's like a, you know, like a Jesus that's coming through and he's kind of tiptoeing through tulips and tossing out butterflies as he, as he kind of pierces through the clouds. No, Jesus is coming back. The Bible says that he's riding a white horse and that sword is Coming, I mean, he's literally coming out of his mouth. I mean, he's tatted down. I mean, he is coming with vengeance. That, that he is not only Lord, Savior, giver of life, but he is also judge. That he's coming back to right the wrongs that, that sin has created. That he's coming back to re- establish or reestablish the justice that was intended all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2. He's not coming back simply light-handed. He's coming back heavy-handed. And he says that the Father has given me that authority. And so so what what, what, what does it mean? It means this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now let's ask, ask a question that we need to have answered. Does this mean that we're saved by works? it sounds like we're, everybody that does good, they go to heaven, right? Life, everybody that does bad, they're judged, eternal damnation, and hell. What does that mean? Well, look back a few verses. Verse 24, it says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Do you see that? In other words, there's the gospel, right? So here's how we make sense of that last verse that we just read that says, those that do good, resurrection of life, those that do evil, judgment. The gospel itself, when truly believed upon, does bring about transformation in people, right? It doesn't mean that you're saved by works, but it means that works come with your salvation. You tracking with that? good comes with your salvation. You begin to desire good in salvation. You seek to honor Christ in your salvation. And so it's not simply that we're talking about perfect people go to heaven, imperfect people go to hell. That's not what we're saying. He's saying that as the gospel is embraced, as the words that, 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 that I have shared, as they are embraced, which are the gospel, and people believe upon those words and believe upon me then along with that belief comes a new heart. Along with that belief comes transformation. Along with that belief comes a spirit, the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us, challenging our walks, challenging our ways, challenging our actions, and renewing us slowly but surely, perfecting us in the image and likeness of God. That's what that means. Doesn't mean that there'll be perfect people perfect people floating off into the clouds in the heaven. It means there'll be people that have a true, true faith in Christ that has kept and sustained them throughout this life in preparation for the eternal life. Does that make sense? God is the, God the Father has, through this perfect relationship and perfect fellowship with his son has given the Son and entrusted to the Son the giving of life and the execution of judgment. And those two things mean everything to you and I. It's it's, it's for that reason that we cannot cannot live this life thinking that we're going to go outside of the Son to see anything related to eternity. In the Son is judgment, and in the Son is life. We must go through the Son in order to receive life. And so who is Jesus? He is our salvation. Who is Jesus? He is the way, the truth, and life. No man go to the Father but through him. Who is Jesus. He is your Savior and your Lord. Submit to him. Trust him. Receive his words as words that come from the very mouth of God the Father. Receive him as one that is equal with God the Father. And receive life from the dead. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you and give you praise and glory and honor for this day. We ask that you would teach us what it means to walk with you and teach us, Lord God, more and more what it means to trust you as Lord and as Savior, trust your Son as Lord and Savior. We thank you for the relationship that's reflected in the Godhead. We thank you for the love that we seek. We thank you for the glory that we see. We thank you, Lord God, that even in co-equality, Lord God, that the relationship operates perfectly because no one operates outside of themselves, but they operate in tandem, God, Spirit, and Son. Father, we pray and ask that there be any in this room this morning that do not know you. That, Father, they would come to a saving knowledge, of Jesus Christ, that they would realize, Lord God, that Christ has died for them, that their sins have been placed on the cross, and that all that would, that would seek life and all that would have life must come through Jesus Christ by trusting him with their life and turning from their life of sin. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. It's in your son's name we pray. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.